Hello, I'm Hal Lublin. And I'm Mark Gagliardi. Since the dawn of humanity, one issue has gone unsettled. With the fate of the world in the balance, we're here to settle once and for all. Best Dr. Seuss Story. That's right. Don't worry, everyone. We got this. Podcast should have a theme song. Podcast should not have a theme song. Yes, they should. No, they shouldn't. They sound good. Yeah, but people are just going to skip past it. Hmm. You know what? You're right. We got this. Oh, hold on a second. Hold on a second. This might be loud, and I apologize if it is. Ah, shoot. Well, he's going to be my friend for the episode. What happened? A fly just landed right on you on my screen. On me? Yeah, on you, Get it Hal. off. Get it <laughs> off of me. I can't do this with a fly on me. I can't podcast Hold with on. a fly. Yes. I got it. Ow! Well, you wanted me to get it. I don't want you to get me. Just well, get how was I going to get it, but not get you? Be humane. I am humane. Oh, that's more acting than I've done my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, buddy. Who? Wait, Hello. who was that laugh that we just heard? That was our friend and our guest. He is a writer, producer, podcaster, and currently has a Kickstarter for Volume 2 of Rise of the Kung Fu Dragon Master which you can support, and you should, if you like action comedy, which we all do. Mr. Chris Mancini, welcome. Thanks, guys. Great to be here. Yes, um, you know, it, it's it's the uh, the blanket email that goes out for 30 days during a Kickstarter. I'm like, who's got spots? Who's got spots on a podcast? <laughs> we always have a spot for you. Yeah, we are always happy to see you. Uh, we've been on your podcast, uh, Tales from the Abyss, multiple times yes. and, uh, mm-hmm. and love it. It's so fun. It's reminiscent of, you know, Twilight Zone. And uh, I guess since it's audio, more like suspense back in the yes. 50s. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I was telling Hal that uh, the last episode episode you guys did the waiting room like got some mm-hmm. amazing um reaction from like it really hit people like on a on a psychological level where i was talking to uh, somebody uh, about it and they's like man that one just really kind of uh really and they uh, they literally trailed off as they were thinking of the episode <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, and i tell you i listened to it, it. I felt the same way. I listened yeah. to it and I was like, and we were in it. We read yeah. it. We did read it multiple times out yeah. loud, got notes like we, we, but it's still, it, it's a, it hits you. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that show's amazing. Uh, tell everybody about volume two of, uh, the graphic novel. Uh, Rise of the Kung Fu Dragon Master is an action comedy, a hundred page graphic novel. It's, um, being kickstarted right now, volume two, but it's okay if you missed volume one. You could get that as a, Volume one, volume two package, or volume one is also in the, uh, uh, White Cat Entertainment store. It's about Rick, a small time crook in Los Angeles, who, uh, isn't really good at anything except being angry. He accidentally gets the power of the dragon and gets mixed up in a mystical battle between good and evil that's been fought since the days of ancient China. And he's ill equipped to deal with any of it. And it kind of has like a feel of like, uh, the 80s buddy comedies and Big Trouble in Little China. So it's got like monsters and dragons and cool like martial arts. And I sent my artist um, scurrying to uh, a bunch of uh, cool martial arts movies and Jackie Chan and uh, having them do like a lot of references for the poses and the actual martial, martial arts. So it's a really fun um, book. And it's uh, just kind of like a love letter to, you know, those 80s movies that we all kind of grew up with. That's fantastic. How fun is it to have an artist that you can just say, you know what? I'm going to call up my artist right now and be like, can you make a, can you make me just an awesome, uh, kung fu poster? But they're like doing it on top of a Ferrari. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Like just having that. It's like Christmas every day or like, it's like having a, it's like having an art genie. It, for it cool, really is nerdy stuff from childhood. <laughs> Yeah. And, and it's also, as you know, from doing production, it just takes so long to do literally anything in film or TV mm-hmm. or even videos like, you know, we're like, well, I have this image of, you know, uh, somebody fighting a giant or a dragon in my head. It's going to be a lot easier just to have someone draw that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if only if only you had the artistic ability to illustrate your own writing, that would be something which, right? which our topic for today is is a guy who did just that, Dr. Seuss. Of mm-hmm. course, six times he did it. We're not going to see that anymore because <laughs> of uh, <Yeah. laughs> poor poor choices in sensitive uh, racial <laughs> depictions. Those books 
are not in consideration for best doctor right. story. Uh, but good choices by the people at uh, at Random House, I guess it is. Is his publisher still? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But who for saying like, hey, these books are problematic. We're taking these six off the shelves. You know, we're all relatively the same age mm-hmm. to to have grown up reading things that had super insensitive drawings in them, and to think mm-hmm. nothing of it because. It was just what was presumed. Well, these are kids' books. Yeah. And these yeah. are Dr. Seuss. He wouldn't do we're that. No, yeah. Right. We're not, uh, yeah, exactly. So we're taking away the ability to, on some level, normalize that kind of imagery, yeah. which is a good thing, even though maybe somebody else will retell that story in a, uh, right. with better drawings. But yeah, we don't need to harp on the ones that are not going to be <laughs> the contenders. <laughs> do you guys have any that when you were kids were, particular favorites of yours standouts because our job here is to objectively answer subjective questions so for this one let's get the subjective out of the way do you have one that you loved loved growing up yes and i guess not growing up but (laughs) at at the age that you would be reading them yes Mm -hmm. and uh also i was a huge dr seuss fan i would literally read Everything, yeah. even like, uh, you know, the one about Ublick, like even like the ones that no one else was reading the Dr. Right. Seuss, <laughs> right. Uh, with the like the birds and the king and like the Ublick and the birds eating the roots. Like it, it was insane. One, one of those. But the one that I think spoke to me the most was I had trouble getting to Sala Salu. And one of the reasons was like, because as a kid, I didn't quite get it at first, like what the underlying message was for this book. I just love the story, love the artwork and stuff. But the ending always kind of like, well, I'm not really sure. Did this end? What's going on? And as I reread it as I got older, because I've always been like a Dr. Seuss fan, it, it clicked probably like a couple years later um, when I was an older kid. And I loved it like even more. And the underlying message is like, you know, you have uh, this character who's getting beset upon by problems and troubles. And he thinks, well, if I could only get to this mystical city, all my problems are gone. And uh, so he goes through all these different problems to get to this uh, mystical city where they don't have any problems. I'm like, okay, that's where I want to be. And then when he gets to the city where there's no problems, there's uh, a little creature in the keyhole where it keeps swapping the key away. So they can't open the key to get to this mystical problem, problem-free city. And uh, then the guy, the doorman goes, well, just come with me to this other city. And they, they really have no problems. And he realizes that I'm always going to have problems. And he goes back home yeah. with a different perspective and a different attitude and a club to, uh, <laughs> as he said at the end, um, now my problems are going to have problems with me. And uh, because uh, he was beset upon with all these creatures at the beginning, too. And I thought that was such a great message that, uh, yeah, it doesn't matter where you go. There's going to be problems. You have to deal with them. And uh, to learn something like that at a younger um, age, I think, is phenomenal. I think that's why, I mean, outside of the crazy signature illustration style and the iambic pentameter and the clever words, he was the first one to use the word crunk. You can thank Dr. Seuss for that, is <laughs> the reason why they endure and why we read them as children and still connect to them as adults and then in turn impart them to our children is, is for that reason precisely, is that there are uh, – many of them have morals and lessons that apply just as much to adults as they do to children. That's why everybody gets all oh, the places you'll go as a graduation gift. Mm-hmm, you have right. like 18, mm-hmm. 21, 22 year olds getting mm-hmm. this book because it still has meaning, even though it's ostensibly a children's book. Right. Well, I think he wrote to audiences so well. Like mm-hmm. he knew the exact audience he was writing to. Oh, the places you'll go came out in 90. So he was 86 when that book came out. And uh, he's writing it to any age of a person who is graduating or going through things, keeping it super universal. You look at Hop on Pop and he's writing to literal three year olds. Right. right? He's <laughs> writing to Hop on Pop is what do they call it? The uh, the simplest Seuss for earliest use or something like that mm-hmm. was the, the tagline for it. That's but your entry like, level Seuss. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's uh, it's like here are three monosyllabic words that you are just now learning how to use uh i'm gonna put them together in a funny way i still remember like he wrote cat in the hat because the dick and jane books were boring (laughs) like 
That's that was his charge was write an interesting uh, book for young readers. So he did. I think he did a great job of, you know, finding his audience for each of those stories and for getting when he wants to get those morals across. He does a great job of picking different ways to say them. You know what I mean? Like he has a point he wants to make in, oh, the places you'll go. And he's just saying, you can do this. Mm-hmm. This one is, uh, what was the name of the one that you mentioned? I'd not heard of it before. Oh, I had trouble getting to Sala Salu. Yeah, I had trouble mm-hmm. getting to Sala Salu. That's, uh, you know, a allegory through just a storyteller or, yes. it's, you know, telling the story. You've got the Lorax where it begins with one kid asking a story of an old hermit who was the one right. that learned the message. Mm-hmm. So like his style, I think is so fun and bounces around regardless of how old his audience is. Yeah. Well, he even made a book on uh, aging, so he really hit every yeah. demographic. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that, that's really true. He did write to audiences. He even did a book on uh, nuclear proliferation. Remember the Butter Battle War? Mm-hmm. I think it was one of yeah. those where they were arguing whether to butter the bread on the top or the bottom, and then the weapons yeah. got larger and larger and pointed at each other. <laughs> yeah. I. You know, uh, by the way... The- <laughs> This is kind of embarrassing, Mark. You you were like, what is your favorite Dr. Seuss book? And I was like, oh, uh-huh. it's, it's Hands, Hands, Fingers, Thumb, which is not a Dr. Seuss book. It is part of his <laughs> early children's series, but it's written by Al yeah. Perkins. But I love that book. I know it's not Dr. <laughs> Seuss. And I was so excited to talk about it. And my entire life. <laughs> oh, no. I've been living with this, with, with this Mandela effect of <laughs> it being a Dr. Seuss book. And I think I'm going to need a moment. But I also yeah. of the Seuss books, probably the Lorax is the one yeah. that I like the most and mm-hmm. connected with it probably the most when I was like 12, 13, 14, when I started to go like, oh, we should care about the environment. Yeah. And here's a story that's been telling mm-hmm. us that for decades. I mean, even the art in that book is heartbreaking. Yeah. That it image is. of just the gray factory with all the trucks leaving. Uh, oof. yeah. And the last tree getting cut down, like, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, he uses the color palette so effectively where everything is like bright and colorful and cheerful. And as the book progresses, like you said, the grays start coming in more. And then yeah. all of a sudden that's all it is. And you're like, Oh my God. Yeah. It just, it, it hits you right in the uh, gut. That book. I love that use of color too, which my other favorite that he did that particular thing with, I think is uh the cat in the hat comes back mm, right in the cat in the hat comes back the mess that time it always is cat in the hat creates a huge mess and then right at the end oh deus ex machina cleans up the mess <laughs> before whoever else comes home yeah <laughs> and in this one it is he leaves pink icing in the bathtub and then as you read the book the pages and it's a snowy day so like Page one is just white with snow. By the end of the book, every page is fully pink mm-hmm. as this pink icing <laughs> is just getting everywhere, which I think is a really fun. That's writing to your audience. You have yeah. you're writing to the youngest readers. So a book that slowly turns pink is exciting. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, one of his rare sequels. He didn't make too many sequels. Yeah. Yeah. His other sequel is great, too. Porton. Yes. Oh, yeah, that's right. Horton, so Horton hatches the egg. Is, oh, I thought yeah, Horton first. Is, yeah, that's the first one, and then he mm-hmm. hears who. Yeah. Yep. Wait, it's you? hard to pick. A, yeah. These are all amazing. <laughs> They're all so good. Well, yeah. let's go. Let's take a little bit. Uh, I want to look at this. Uh, Wait a minute, Mark. Before we do that, what was your favorite? Yeah. What is your subjective book that you maybe you don't think will win? Like, I think the Lorax might be a contender, so it feels weird that yeah. I don't have yeah. like, I love Hunches and Bunches or something like that. But yeah. is there one that's sort of a sentimental favorite of yours? For me, uh, when I was a kid, I had a Fisher Price cassette recorder, mm. the little wow. brown cassette player, uh, oh, yeah. that also had a recorder on. I don't know if, I don't, any kid that was, you know, I'm 42. So anyone that's roughly my age may have had this version of a tape player as a kid. The cassettes were always yellow and there was a yellow cassette that I had of one fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish. <laughs> yeah. And I wore that little yellow cassette <laughs> out. I listened to it a million. And I had not thought about that cassette until I went back to look at all these books. And I'm reading One Fish, Two Fish, Red Fish, Blue Fish. And I get to an image where uh, the Nook has a book hanging on a hook on his hat to teach him how to cook. And uh, I vividly, instantly remembered 
the sound of cellophane crinkling to mimic a fire, which in the book that came with that <laughs> Fisher Price cassette recorder, they told you that's how you make sound effects is crinkle some cellophane to make the sound of a fire and they actually did it on this one fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish tape. And as soon as I saw that image, I heard that cellophane crinkling and I found it on YouTube. It's uh, that cassette yeah. track is on there. And uh, so that to me, one fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish for having the, for the number of times it was read to me with the little <laughs> turn the page sound. Like, yes. Well, you can probably amazing. get that at Comic-Con, that tape for about $1,200 if you still want to do it again. Yeah. Your childhood is available. Yeah. Exactly. I, mean, I, can, I can get that uh, Yogi Bear and uh, Yogi and Boo Boo book with the cassette yeah. where it goes, <laughs> and it's just them like trying to steal picnic baskets in like an electrical yeah. storm. I can't even remember what the plot was. It's always like, that's all, all Yogi Bear wants yeah. is to eat your food. Yeah. It's it. And and he needs it to be in a basket. If you put it in a yeah. plastic bag and you tie it to a tree, he will go into a blood rage. <laughs> yep. You've never Boo- seen before. Boo Boo is always the conscience, but he's got to eat too. So he doesn't yeah, really yeah. try too hard. Mm-hmm. To exactly. <laughs> he's also like, maybe we should hide the body in the cave, Yogi. Because, <laughs> you know, once the ranger finds out, he's going to go yeah. crazy. It's just, it's a very <laughs> delicate psychological balance that needs to be kept in Jellystone Park. And this particular uh, Jellystone adventure was also part of that Random House beginner books that Dr. Seuss set up yeah. for the youngest mm-hmm. readers, right? Also by yeah. Al Perkins. Weird. He, he had a lot of range as a writer. A I range. also thought I was I my Mandela Effect book for that was uh, Are You My Mother? I always thought Are You My Mother was a Dr. Seuss book. Mm-hmm. And it's not. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. like- it was it was in the it was in the same uh, publishing arm. And it's got the same, uh, it's got the little cat in the hat logo on it. Yeah. So it, exactly. it is, it's, it's kind of part of that, uh, you know, imprint. It's yeah. in his, in the, in the Seuss crime family. Yeah. It's like a consigliere. I, it's it, legend. It's, it's not canon. Yeah. It's the meme it's like, of mom. Can we have Dr. Seuss? And then it's, <laughs> we have Dr. Seuss at home and it's yeah. Al Perkins. Yeah. <laughs> that's your homemade. That's the Eddie yeah. Murphy homemade hamburger. <laughs> it's better than McDonald's coming yeah. pepper oh. and onions, soaking through the white bread. <laughs> Now, how do you oh, want to? So how good. did you want to attack this, Mark? <laughs> uh, I want to attack this looking chronologically because I think it is fun to go through a few different phases of Doctor Seuss. Okay, because there wasn't much. Uh, you know, he he started as an illustrator primarily, right? He got famous doing illustrations for uh, Bug Killer, and then he uh, came out with his first book, which we have not talked about yet. Doctor Seuss's first book in 1931 was called Boners. We have not talked about that. <laughs> we have not talked about Dr. Seuss's first book, Boners, from 1931. Boners Wonder back why. then, of course. Okay. <laughs> Boners of course. were different back then. They had bowlers and they drove a railroad around on bicycles because cars were too expensive. And they suffered in the Great yeah. Depression and built tent cities in Central Park. <laughs> Sorry. It means something else, doesn't it? I didn't get it right. Sorry. Mistakes. Yeah. Mistakes. Oh, goodness. Yeah. So he wrote a comedic book of mistakes called Boners. I just wanted to keep saying it over and over again, I guess. Also sponsored by uh, Manscaped. (laughs) (laughs) And then uh, he did a lot of uh, stuff for the war efforts during World War II. A big supporter of Roosevelt. A lot of political cartoons, right? A lot of political cartoons. Mm -hmm. And that was when... That was when he had some of the real problematic stuff, uh, specifically about the Japanese. And uh, he, I guess, got visited by three ghosts a little later on because a lot more of his books later were about being kind to all people and kinds of people, whether they have a star on their belly or not. Right. So he uh, he comes back from the war and he starts writing these children's books. Then uh, this is where I think the big uh, turning point is. 1954, Life magazine uh, publishes an article about illiteracy and how uh, school children really, really need help reading. The director of Houghton Mifflin compiles a list of 348 words uh, that he thinks are important for first graders to recognize. He asks Dr. Seuss to cut down this list to 250 words and write a book using only those words. He writes The Cat in the Hat using 236 words. And that is when Dr. Seuss takes off as a children's book author. From then, he's got 
Start so that was nineteen fifty five. He has Cat in the Hat. I think it was in fifty seven, wasn't it? Fifty seven, yeah. So at this point, he had already written Horton Hatches the Egg and its sequel, Horton Hears a Who. Mm-hmm. Of course, if I ran the zoo and Mulberry Street, which are not in uh, contention, so he writes the Cat in the Hat in nineteen fifty seven. Then you get. Uh, the Grinch in 57, Green Eggs and Ham, you get One Fish, Two Fish, Red Fish, Blue Fish. You get One Fish, Two Fish, Red Fish, Blue Fish, and all of these other classics, Hop on Pop, Fox and Socks, all starting in the late 50s mm. through the early 60s. So if we want to look chronologically, let's start with the Hortons. How's that? And then we'll move into the Cat in the Hat and Beyond. Sure. sure. And we're just looking to grab finalists, whoever we think. We're just them. looking to grab finalists at this point. We're okay. going to talk about the collection. We'll pull some finalists and we'll... See some things that we like. Well, I, I will say about the Horton books, when you have um, the first one and the second one, it's amazing how even in a children's book world and mythology, how Dr. Seuss took a smaller story about sitting on the egg and compassion towards one uh, being or another person. And the sequel, he literally blew it up into another world. Like, yeah. uh, well, not only should you be <laughs> nice to like one thing or person, mm-hmm. you really, you don't know what worlds are out there, or what people are out there. That, so you should kind of be nice to everything because you never know when you're going to crush an entire world in your fingertips. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love those books. Uh, yeah, absolutely. The first one is, it's just, it's so simple. It seems like, and that's one thing I love about so many of his stories is they're just a simple thing that essays have been written about extrapolating assorted meanings out of. The first one is just a uh, mother bird conv- swindles uh, Horton into sitting on her eggs so she can go to Palm Springs. Right. And then it's just an elephant sitting on an egg. That's mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And he says, what's his line that he says that's... um. An elephant is an elephant uh, is faithful 100%. There you go. An elephant is faithful 100%. I said what I said and I meant what I meant or I. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah. And it just, it, it builds from there. So you, you see this like, um, these character arcs in, in like literally animals. You you see this terrible, uh, essentially a negligent parent. And uh, someone who steps up to fill that void for a child. I mean, there. this is why so many essays have been written. It, it seems like yeah. such a simple story on the surface, but it really isn't. There's a lot more uh, things going on. And uh, and he just goes, um, he, he moves forward from there. This is a good time to, uh, good time as any, as we sort of start digging into these. And I, and of course, there has to be at least one Horton story that makes it into the finals or, yeah. or becomes a finalist. It's, mm-hmm. What are we looking for? We have books where the majority of them are written in iambic pentameter that has, they have banana balls illustrations. And a lot of them, do we go based on iconic characters or do we go based on what the story is underlying? Something like Horton hatches the egg where it, it appears simple, but has a much deeper story. Are we talking mm-hmm. about the moral that we connect with? What are the criteria for something like this? Yes. Yeah, I think, I think yeah. Right. I think those are all criteria. I think, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's not iambic pentameter through. It's all kinds of different meters throughout. Right. Uh, that he's pulling. And I think that's one of the really fun things about it is, you know, the Lorax has a different sort of lyrical style. So like the cat in the hat books have, you know, uh, their sort of clipped styles. The, mm-hmm. One fish, two fish, red fish, blue. No, no, not one fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish. Uh, I forgot to mention green eggs and ham. Did we mention yes. green eggs and ham? Mm-hmm. Well, that was, yeah, the most famous written on a bet. Uh, a yeah, bet 50 at, words. Bennett Surf. Yeah, Bennett right. Surf has yeah. said, I bet you can't write a book with 50 words or less. The book <laughs> has exactly 50 words in it. Wow. Yeah. And I think that, like, that's one thing that's, that I, that I think we can look at too is how he uses language in it and to what end. Like, Fox in Socks is, Using these crazy tongue twisters, I think teaching kids about both rhyme and meter and rhythm and also teaches them about how, look, if you change one letter in a word, clock becomes click and Mm -hmm. click becomes chick. So it's sort of it's it also is ways of uh, playing with language. Another fun one I heard is the, again, it's about Mulberry Street, but they got the idea for the story from a boat that he was riding with his wife across the Atlantic. And it was the that became to think that I saw it on Mulberry Street. Wow. 
Uh, yeah, that's incredible. Just to, from, you know, so he was just feeling kind of the rhythm from the boat. He, was, he was feeling the engines the churning. Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, I, I will say one thing about um, if we're going to pick a Horton book, I would probably go with Horton Hears a Who because mm-hmm. he really stepped up the allegory and undertones in that uh, book as opposed to the first one, which was still amazing. But the second one, even, I don't know if you remember, there were like a, a set of like monkey brothers that had all this weird, like that I didn't get it at the time, but you know, this political radicalization of, uh, you know, how you're supposed to treat, you know, the, these people on the, uh, um, on the speck of dust. Is it real? Are they really people? Is there really a world or, you know, are you just, uh, um, making it up? And there, there, but there was a lot. I think there were even more undertones in the second one than the first one. Yeah. I, I would go for the more complex of the two. Yeah. Uh, stories. So Horton hears a who is in the finals. Are you, are you marking? Yeah. That, Mark, I will, <laughs> I will start. Apparently I can't keep track of notes today. The notes <laughs> I've taken have vanished. They were sitting right in front of me. While you get yeah. a piece of paper and write down Horton, here's a who. I think another finalist has to be 1957's The Cat in the Hat, not only for the character that it gave us and the fact really is born out of spite. I mean, he was like, if I can get Dick and Jane out of libraries, I'm doing my job. I don't (laughs) want people reading that because they're boring and (laughs) terrible or whatever. It's weird that an artist would be driven by anger for something. Yeah. And and pettiness. That's very petty. (laughs) But also like Dr. Seuss is my Al, my my Al Perkins or Jenkins or whatever book it is, has Dr. has the cat in the hat because the cat in the hat is Dr. Seuss. They are one and the same. Mm-hmm. So that has to be a finalist as well. Let's take a brief break. Mm-hmm. And when we come back, we'll we'll pick out more finalists and then we will select a winner. Sounds good to me. Or Yogi Bear will murder us all and we won't return. <laughs> no, <laughs> who knows? Why did why did yeah. Random House pick that book up? I don't understand. <laughs> you shouldn't have tied that bag to the tree. <laughs> we'll be right back. This podcast is brought to you in part by Soylent. And if you are like me, You find yourself so busy that you're not taking the time to cook meals or eat healthy. You wind up taking the easy way out, quote unquote, where you're having drive through or you're getting the stuff from the snack aisle of a convenience store. But it doesn't have to be that way because of Soylent. Soylent is a great way to replace meals or get a little bit of extra protein, either in bar, powder or shake form. There are Soylent Complete Meals, there's Soylent Complete Energy, Soylent Squared, and even Complete Protein. And it's the original food tech company. They make delicious and nutritious nutrition products in convenient formats. So however you want to ingest it, it is there for you. And it's perfect for breakfast, lunch, or anytime you need a nutritious meal that tastes really good. And these do taste good. There are a ton of different flavors. You can pick the ones you like and build out a pantry of natural healthy ingredient meal replacements that you can have anytime that you need them. Go to Soylent.com slash we got this and use code we got this to get 20% off your first order. That's Soylent.com slash we got this and code we got this for 20% off your first order. Check it out today. We got this with Mark and Hal is brought to you by Feels CBD. CBD isn't about what you feel. It's about what you don't feel. Stress, anxiety, pain. I have started taking it. It's been super helpful for me. It relieves any pain that I may be having. You know, I try to try to get some exercise, but if it's been a few days and I haven't done it, uh, I get a little sore afterwards. No problem. Feels CBD really takes care of that. And I can't thank them enough. It relieves pain. It helps with nervousness and sleeplessness. And importantly, there are no harmful side effects. It will keep your head clear. So if that's something you worry about, it's not the type of product that will make you cloudy. This is CBD. And Feels is dedicated to providing a better way to feel better. It's a premium CBD that'll help you keep your head clear and feel your best. It's hassle-free, delivered directly to your door. CBD naturally helps reduce stress, anxiety, pain, and sleeplessness, and there's no hangover or addiction. Feels offers a free CBD hotline to help guide your personal experience so that you can find your perfect dose, whether that's a whole dropper, two droppers if you're about to fall asleep, 
just a few drops if you want to just loosen your muscles up a little bit. It really is a great product. Start feeling better with Feels. Become a member today by going to feels.com slash we got this and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. That's feels.com slash we got this to become a member and get 50% automatically taken off your first order with free shipping. Feels.com slash we got this. And we're back. We have so we have two finalists right now: the classic Horton hears a who from the early years of Doctor Seuss, and uh, his drastic turn into writing for the youngest readers with the Cat in the Hat. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about the Cat in the Hat. We just kind of began that mm-hmm. uh, before the break. Did you guys grow up on this book? Oh, absolutely! Yeah, yeah. of course. Mm-hmm. For some reason, Gabe liked this one better than I did. This was not like I didn't have like a hatred of it, uh-huh. but like Gabe had like I think he had a stuffed cat in the hat. So in my mm-hmm. mind, like cat in the hat was my brother's thing. I yeah. was a one fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish man. <laughs> it's very chaotic. It's a very chaotic book, and if you yeah. if you're prone to anxiety, it can be a t- <laughs> like all of a sudden you're there. Like I think more of us are the pet fish. <laughs> than any other character we all want yeah. to be cat yeah. the hat like we want right. to think no. we're freewheeling mm-hmm. and just come in and yeah. have whatever care or even thing mm-hmm. one or thing two we're like invite mm-hmm. two friends care. over that they didn't even yeah. say could come mm-hmm. but i'm 100 that goldfish are like hey you better <laughs> clean this up yeah. why did you let that cat in the house you're yeah. fine by your, there are two of you you can't amuse each other for i don't remember sakes. giving permission for a party joel you know, yeah, that yeah. kind of thing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that, as a kid, that's really what it felt like. It's as you're reading it, I'm like, oh my gosh, if my parents would only go out and leave me here, then I could do whatever I want. And there'd be a cat that would show up with this box of all these magical things. And, um, it really spoke to like childhood wish fulfillment of like, cause that's what, yeah. and especially you couldn't go out. It's raining. Like it's, we're inside. You know, there were no iPhones back then. <laughs> like, yeah. what are we yeah. possibly going to do? And, um, I think I enjoyed that book more on like a, uh, on that kind of level more than any underlying meaning as far as like, you know, what uh, Dr. Seuss was trying to, uh, teach or tell me. I think that was just a fun, uh, kind of wish fulfillment book for, uh, for me as a kid. Yeah. You know, I don't think it was that, I think it was designed that way. Like yeah, this, yeah. If this whole mm-hmm. thing was the Dick and Jane books suck. So yeah. let's make something yeah. that kids will like. Yep. Then you're not like you're, if your entire job is just make kids entertained, yep. why not make it just chaotic hedonism? Totally. Fly kites in the house, fling <laughs> paint everywhere. Yep. Mm-hmm. And th- there's also yeah. a little bit in books like this where it's about children's literacy and here are the vocabulary words that we want you to use where yeah. you're, tricking kids into eating their vegetables like when my right. mother told me carrots were candy when i was very very young mm-hmm. and that's what i thought <laughs> until my aunt shelly gave me chocolate and, <laughs> and now look at me yeah. uh, but there is a certain thing to like you're reading this crazy story that you wish if only my parents left me here that that, right. that yeah. whole thing is really mm-hmm. a guise to get you to read and expand your every time you read you're expanding your vocabulary in some way or sharpening your vocabulary yep. So, mm-hmm. so in a way, it's, um, as far as like there being like an underlying morality message, that wasn't it. It was more about kind of stealth learning and getting you to love, uh, language you're reading. So really, there was an underlying message there. It was, yeah, <laughs> it was just different. It was so. T plus H yeah. plus E equals the. Yeah. That was the underlying <laughs> message. Yeah, Here's what these words look like. It just shows what he could do with language, um, and literally all different, uh, ways that it's, mm-hmm. it's incredible. Yeah. I also think the next book, the, his other 1957 book, it should also be a finalist. I think this one's, the, this is my contender. How the Grinch Stole Christmas, not only because the yeah. television special is so good. In fact, mm-hmm. that's just icing on the cake, but it is a great story, especially at a time when maybe not the height, but certainly ascending towards the height of commercialism around the holidays. Right. Mm-hmm. Children. That is not what this is about. So if anybody took away, if you take away all of the, the frivolity and the presence that really it's being together and celebrating mm-hmm. the spirit of togetherness and whatever is important, whatever the holiday may be is really what's important. That is a huge lesson. I remember I was in high school and, uh, it was, I think it was a, a history teacher said, all right, we're going to have a uh, guest speaker today. 
Mm-hmm. And he left the room, put the TV on, and he played The Grinch on <laughs> The Grinch Stole Christmas. And that was like our uh, lecture for the uh, for the class. And that teacher so is good. awesome. Yeah. And it was like, oh, my God, this is the greatest thing ever. But even, you know, in high school, it resonates. It resonates as you're a kid. It resonates as a teenager. It resonates as an adult. The story is just yeah. timeless. And at the time... You know, it was done in such an engaging way that, you know, obviously that message has been, you know, explored in different ways, but never like this and never with this much kind of dexterity on uh, to appeal to all ages. So I thought it was an amazing story. I, I agree. It should be a contender for sure. Yeah. Yeah. This is my personal favorite, I think, mm-hmm. like as an adult on this list. A, because I've loved every version of it. B, because I worked at Universal Studios forever and was surrounded by Grinch stuff for years and years <laughs> every year around the holidays. Yeah. So I'm always going to have an affinity for it. Um, but also for how much it has meant to so many people for so long and the longevity that it has had as a holiday staple has meant that so many different hands have played a part in it. Like... The Grinch was not green until Chuck Jones made him green right. for the animated special. Mm-hmm. Like there are all these little that all of the details of the story have been put together in, in like the last page of the book is the Grinch sitting carving the roast beast with two who's sitting next to him. Now it's like, you know, that scene, it pulls back. There's a million who's all of whose stories we know who have now each in the way that the who's in Horton Hears a Who went from it feels like the book of the Grinch is the Horton hatches the egg. That's the egg. And the life that the Grinch has taken on since is the Whoville and the speck of dust. You know, you've got infinite stories inside that snowflake. I, I yeah, absolutely. I agree. In fact, we even got like a, an iconic song from uh, the Chuck Jones special. Yeah, <laughs> You're did. a mean one, Mr. Grinch. Oh, it's so yeah. good. Yeah. And I sung mean, by Tony the Tiger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, wasn't it narrated too, like by like Boris Karloff, the, yes, uh, oh, yeah. the original one? Yeah. It's, uh, it's, uh, we still watch it every year, whether the kids want to or not. You know, Absolutely. we still I watch both it. versions. Yeah. I say both. I did no disrespect to Benedict Cumberbatch. I didn't watch that one yet. Just haven't yeah. watched it. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's a, it's a ultimately also very interesting that character, the Grinch, who is a villain through and through, turns out mm-hmm. to be capable of changing. Mm-hmm. Especially when behavior is modeled for him, when he sees that what's really important, that changes him. And that's, that's an important little sort of like side story there is like, mm-hmm. you have, we all have in us the ability to change and to yeah. learn. And sometimes all it takes is having that proper behavior, love, caring, showing what's important modeled for us. Yeah. You're not going to get an argument for me. Yeah, I love this sure. one. Mm-hmm. I think it's also in the canon of Dr. Seuss important because it was apparently quite personal to him because he wrote this starting on December 26th at 53 years old, immediately following a overly commercialized and unsatisfying Christmas that he had had. And the Grinch is, uh, he said the Grinch is 53 years old. Like this is, he's like, this is me. <laughs> and I think it's in knowing that, and it's funny what you're saying about like having the, the behavior modeled for you is what ultimately leads to this turnaround for him. Uh, he said that he wrote this super, super quick. Like this one just flowed out of him in a couple of weeks, except for the very ending. Mm-hmm. So I guess he needed to see the story play out before right. he knew how the ending was going to take shape, which I think is kind of fun. To I start writing he, yeah. a Christmas carol and not know if Scrooge is going to become good by the end. Yeah, I wonder if he focus grouped it. And he, uh, you I know, know right? Got it, yeah. <laughs> Look, dude's got some commercial in him. Dude's got some yeah. commercial in him. Yeah. Uh, what about, you know, we're talking about stories. Mm-hmm. What about Yertle the Turtle, which is his allegory for Hitler? A turtle yeah. who demands yep. that turtles pile up so that he sees king and he can be, nobody can be higher than him. Then he gets angry at the moon. How dare the moon be higher? And then Mac, the turtle on the bottom, sneezes and upends the whole thing. I think mm-hmm. it's it's more worth noting that he was putting things that political in his work. 
rather yeah. than it being I don't think it's a finalist. Do you agree? Well he um he literally I think in his political cartoons he made Hitler a turtle with the uh with the mustache and then he basically Yertle the Turtle is that turtle image of Hitler without the mustache. <laughs> so yeah. um it, it's it's definitely um up there. I don't think it has kind of like the uh, it's weird to say um, depth and nuance of the other uh, Dr. Seuss books, but and it's also a shorter book. It's um, yeah. it, it's it's definitely kind of a, one of his shorter short stories. But it's the, you know what I I would put that as like a runner up, you know, around yeah, <laughs> yeah, but not, it's a, still, not a finalist. It's yeah. still iconic. He does have a great collection of these really heavy handedly allegorical political books. Like mm-hmm. Yertle the Turtle, like, and I would say, uh, the Sneetches too, another yes. one that's from a short story collection, but mm-hmm. specifically about anti-Semitism. Yes. But it mixes a few other things as well. With oh, it the does. Sort of like, like, what about coming the, into town yeah. with the machine that adds what about it the and character? It. Yeah. I was going to say, like, what about the character that got rich from, you know, yeah. all of that? And if, if anything, it's, it's going to be an allegory all the way to today. Like, uh, how can mm-hmm. I profit on, um, um, it basically racism, hate, and, uh, you know, separating people. And, and yeah. it's literally, there's, you know, there, there's a very, very, uh, just, I, I don't want to say disturbing, but it's a, just a very, very iconic and, um, moving panel of him just driving away with a cart full of money, like not caring, yeah. you know, what they were doing or how they were hurting each other or even how they resolved. It didn't matter to that character. You know, he made his money doesn't matter he's off to cause chaos to the next town and make money there so i think there's a, yeah. another underlying lesson as well so i don't know i think we got another strong runner up here yeah yeah they're runners up I, they're not quite there they're not quite yeah. there mm-hmm. is something like green eggs and ham which is fun because it's on a bet and it's an iconic mm-hmm. story sam i am is is a well-known character and it's it's one of the few where you are uh, well we don't know who the antagonist is we don't know who they are they don't just they're just a character they're a nameless character they're never given mm-hmm. a name but the you, the places you'll go there are actually a, a few books where you are the main character right we'll, yeah. we'll get to that in a little bit because i think that one's gonna mm-hmm. have to be a final sleep but, book i mean yeah. i don't think we can mention green eggs and ham without mentioning that when dr seuss died in 1991 they brought Jesse Jackson onto Saturday Night Live to read <laughs> Green Eggs and Ham aloud. And that that is the book that was picked by the Reverend Jesse Jackson to embody the memory of Dr. Seuss. It is oh a classic. God, it's moment. funny. It's so <laughs> funny. Yeah. It's also the funniest one for him to read because you know he's going to deliver it in that sermon style. Right. Yeah. So, I do not like. Yeah. Yes. Oh, he's so good. Yeah. yeah. And if you were going to pick one to become a Netflix show, that might not be one you picked. But yet we have one. We have right. a we have an yeah. animated Green Eggs and Ham show on Netflix. <laughs> it's happened. Yeah. I'm looking, I'm just looking through going, I, I don't think the next contender appears until the Lorax in 1971. Yeah. I think like late seventies, he didn't, this is, he slowed down after that big burst in the early mid sixties, mm-hmm. like late fifties, early sixties. Look, he went off, he made some TV. You can't fault the guy. <laughs> yeah. But I, the Lorax, he was living like, in La Jolla. He had to uh, make some money. <laughs> yeah. Daddy's beach house isn't going to pay for itself. <laughs> but the, the Lorax gives you iconic character. It gives yeah. you a strong moral. Mm-hmm. It's also, it also ends. It's like a bummer. Oh my God. Well, you yeah. get the seed. Yeah. yeah but mm-hmm. I, I mean, yeah, certainly all hope is not lost, but it also mm-hmm. doesn't end with them. There's no indication that they'll never come back to take the truffula trees that grow out of this one seed either. So we've it ends. Learned. Yeah. It ends in a weird way um, with a childhood call to action button. You know, at the, you know, if yeah. you were like on a website where, I mean, some of the last lines of the book, um, unless someone like you cares a whole awful lot, it's not going to get better. It's not yeah. saying pretty much it's up to everyone reading this book in the next generation. You have to save this planet. It's, uh, um, it's not going to get better unless you're get involved. And it's an amazing message. Yeah. That remains relevant is as relevant yes. in the subject matter. I mean, a lot of these books need moral lives on mm-hmm. and makes mm-hmm. sense but this one 
everything about it you could transplant to modern day. And it is a perfect allegory for something happening at this moment. The need for action is still there. The destruction of the environment by uh, industrialization is still happening all Mm -hmm. around the globe. So in some ways it's worse. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. As technology gets better. Now we have people mining Bitcoin and that is bad for the, like, (laughs) it's just the amount of, there are more terrible ways than cutting down trees to destroy the environment yes. and, and ways that I can't even get my head around, like mining mm-hmm. Bitcoin. I don't, I don't even understand yeah. that, <laughs> yeah. but I just know it's now bad for the environment because of something with electricity use, unless you're doing it on mm-hmm. top of a dam or something. I, I don't know. It's, it's a little <laughs> yeah. baffling to me. Yeah. It's so it remains. It's probably the most in every single aspect of it. It remains relevant and contemporary. Well, I had a, um, a Dr. Seuss collection and before each story, um, somebody famous would kind of do like a foreword. And I think mm. Pete Seeger did the foreword for, uh, the Lorax and oh, he was pretty cool. much send it. He, he think he put like a, like his own little warning label on it. Like, uh, don't read this unless you, um, you're going to want to change the world after. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah. So it was really cool. And not only is it, it, yes, it's, it's message is absolutely the most worthwhile. Um, but also just the details in the Lorax. Like, yes, this character, the onceler is the mm-hmm. one that creates the factory mm-hmm. and the one that also has lost everything. And tells the story to the kid, but the little details, like he spends a couple of pages having the onceler make sure that the kid pays him to tell him this story. Mm-hmm. Like that is the desire for money, whether it's out of absolute necessity now for the onceler or for most of the story where it's out of greed for the onceler. It's still, mm-hmm. it's still that it's a dark book. Like yes. it begins yeah. dark. It ends dark. It's it's intense. Let's go to a uh, another one of his books written later. And this one is another 20. Unless there's someone bet- after 71 before we get to elderly. Oh, the places you'll go. When was um, uh, like Trouble that. Getting to Sala Salu? What year was that? That was 1965. So oh, so that was one of the older ones. In the I sweet lost. spot. Do you oh, want to put okay. it in as a... I, I mean, I like... I like everything about it in terms of it is a great moral to the story, but it is a, is the fact that it's lesser known. Is that something we need to take into account or. Um, I, I'm going to um, say no, just because it's my favorite. And uh, you know what? <laughs> I'd like Throw to it put in it there. into contention. Yeah. Let's put it in as a finalist. <laughs> Let's put it in as a finalist. Cause that is one that the older you get, it ages with you and becomes mm-hmm. even more. As your problems mount, learn yes, how to deal with them rather than, yeah, wherever you go, yeah. your problems will be there and then you'll encounter new problems. Yes. Oh, that bird with a sharp beak, that's now my mortgage. Okay. Yes, that's exactly. it. Yeah. Now you know. <laughs> so with that, we get to our final contender, which is 1990, his final book, mm-hmm. The Graduation Gift for the Last 31 Years. 31 Years? Oh, good yeah, lord, I'm old. Oh, the places you'll go. You know, what's funny about that is that it's such a graduation book that uh, if you look it up on Amazon, mm-hmm. the first thing you will find is the book. The second thing you will find is the book in bulk in uh, <laughs> bundled packs of 25. Yep. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I already pre-ordered two for my kids. They're 13 and 16. So perfect. Uh... Oh, they're, yeah, they're ready to go. I mean, look, it's it it is. The reason why it's such a great graduation gift is it's about something that's preparing you for all the things in life that either aren't going to go the way you planned or are going to be mm-hmm. difficult and misadventures. No matter who you are, no matter what your status is, we're all going to suffer. And it's still, if you take those things in stride, you can go wherever you want. None of these are impossible barriers to overcome. And that is a very strong message to leave the world with as a writer of prolific children's books. That's a pretty good like. Yeah. Here's a, here's my overall thesis statement. Look at everything I've ever done. And here is, here's what I want to leave you with. Right. Here's the, here's the yeah. way you tie it all together. Everything that I've been teaching you since, you know, hop on pop. Now, you know, take all of that and Godspeed, you know, go out into the world and apply it. Yeah, which is it's kind of great to read that upon graduation, 
And I think he knew the responsibility that it carried that he probably that something like hop on pop was probably the first thing that a lot of people read. Even before you've started going to school or as you are beginning school, Dr. Seuss is the first thing you read. And then as you are leaving school, Dr. Seuss is the last thing you read. First thing I read was the Yogi Murders. (laughs) All 30 volumes. That trail of bodies he left. There's No kidding. One book, he's just wearing pearls. And nobody talks about it, but you know that that is a trophy. You know it's a trophy. Nobody asks him about it. Hey, boo-boo, there's going to be a murder. Is there one where it's spelled M-U-R hyphen A hyphen D-E-R? I'm going to murder that woman. I don't know, Yogi. The ranger might ask questions. Hey, you want to be next? I haven't seen Snaggletooth in a while. <laughs> I'm being murdered. <laughs> being alive, even. What, uh, Mark, who are our finalists? Do we have, we have our list of finalists now. Our list of finalists that I swear I've been writing down. Oh, Lord. <laughs> is. One job. We have Horton Here's a Who. Correct. The Cat in the Hat. Yes. How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Yep. The Lorax. Mm hmm. Oh, the places you'll go. And I, I forgot I to write down in getting trouble getting to Sala Salute. Yes, I had trouble in getting to Sala Salute. How do you spell Sala Salute? That's the problem with this guy is he makes up <laughs> words. He makes up a lot of words. S O L L E W. Also, it doesn't matter because no one will see it. Yeah, that's fair. But for your own edification, I'll know. It's good to want to know things. It is good. I'll know. So we have five finalists. That's it. Horton Here's a Who, The Cat in the Hat, I Had Trouble Getting to Sala Salu, The Grinch, uh, The Lorax, and Oh, The Places You'll Go, so six. So do we want to eliminate these one at a time? Yeah, if that's how you want to uh, approach it. Is there, Okay, so let's, again, look over our criteria. And yes. what we are looking for is, yeah. we mentioned, uh, you mentioned the rhythm, the use of language, mm-hmm. the moral of the story. Mm-hmm. Have we talked about the artwork? Iconic characters. They all Iconic. have great artwork. They all mm-hmm. have great artwork. Yeah. It's not true. like one of them was drawn by me when I was <laughs> in my phase where I just tried to draw Garfield all the time and right. like Garfield was sick. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> like, but did like... Garfield eat Lyman? Is that what happened? There's a lot of murderous animals. <laughs> That's really what, what is happening. Yeah. Lyman didn't move out. Garfield ate him. Thought he started to he turned into a cartoon lasagna right in yeah. front of him. And boom, that was it. All of your books when you were a kid, much like the Cat in the Hat sequel, but yours started off white pages and by the end were all blood red. <laughs> That's right. Just That's soaked. Right. But like, no, I mean, I mean the artwork in the sense that you can look at the Lorax and the Grinch as both having a great message. The Grinch is more crudely drawn than the Lorax is. The Lorax is a beautiful, you know, later work where he uses color more effectively. You know what I mean? Like that's I was what just I mean. Gonna I say, yeah, the yeah. color palettes are different. Like one is definitely more yeah. muted, and one is just like bright and vibrant. Mm-hmm. You know what has a great color palette is uh, Hands, Hands, Finger, Thumb by Al Jenkins. <laughs> um, yeah, I think art could be a tiebreaker, but let, here's what we're going to do. We're going to eliminate, the, we're okay. going to take turns eliminating mm-hmm. finalists one by one. Chris, you will start, then Mark will go, then I will go. Okay, okay so let me think. Um, I'm going to go with eliminating, uh, this might be a little controversial, but I'm going to go with eliminating Cat in the Hat because I think wow. everything else on the list has mm-hmm. a much larger and uh, broader moral mm-hmm. and morality lesson to it. So I think they're more layered, whereas Cat in the Hat is like we were talking about getting kids to read wish fulfillment and uh, just fun, just a, you know, a really fun book. Whereas the other uh, all, all the other ones, I think, have a few more layers. Yeah, that's fair. So we're down to Horton. Here's a who the Lorax, how the Grinch stole Christmas. Oh, the places you'll go and uh, Sala Salu. Uh, I'm going to eliminate Oh, the places you'll go. Oh, boy. Um, it's a look, it's a great book. It is a culmination of this everything. This feels like an upset, Mark. This, I don't know. <laughs> it already feels. Did you guys think that that one was going to be the victor? Yeah. I, I kind of did. I mean, <laughs> felt like it. Really? Felt like it could be. <laughs> but the, hey, this is, we're all abiding 
Yeah, this is a, hey, you never know what's going to happen. So this is great. Yeah. Well, now you've got me rethinking. No, I'll say, tell you, no, no, no. Let's talk. Because here's, here's the reason just, I was going to say why is. Go ahead. It does. It does feel like uh, a culmination of everything he ever did. But when I think about Dr. Seuss, I don't like when I think about. um I guess I'm thinking of uh Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story. As we all do. Sure. Uh, and he has that scene at the end where he comes out on stage as an aging rocker and plays a song that I think is literally called It's Been a Hell of a Ride or something like <laughs> it's like I I uh I kind of want the I think that the winner is going to be uh Seuss in his absolute prime mm. and not wise elderly Seuss bestowing lessons from a life lived. I want some prime era Seuss. That's a fair point. All right. So mm-hmm. I think that's, I think that's why. Yeah. So that means we're down to Horton. Here's a who, how the Grinch stole Christmas, the Lorax and Sala Salu. So I'm going to get, we're going to do this uh, snake style. So it'll go me and then back to you, Mark. I'm going <laughs> okay. to, I'm going to eliminate Sala Salu now. Mm-hmm. It made it to the finals. It is a, <laughs> it is a fine story and a great moral. I think the other finalists remaining also have very strong morals, but also have their more iconic books. And it would mm-hmm. feel weird to me to have a discussion of what the best doctors it feel. There are times where, where somebody's best is not their most well known. But I think mm-hmm. in this case that it's going to be one of his iconic stories that, that has to win. So for that reason, I'm eliminating solo salute. That leaves us with the Lorax. Horton Hears a Who and How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Mark, back to you. I am going to go ahead and eliminate Horton Hears a Who. Uh, wow. I think that it is a, <laughs> a <Wow>. wonderful <laughs> classic, but I think the other two, I think the other two have stronger things to say. And I think they say them quite elegantly. I think Horton Hears a Who is brilliant, uh, but I don't think, I think it is a valuable and cherished bronze medalist. Okay. So tolerance not important to Mark. Chris, it leads to you <laughs> for our two finalists, which are How the Grinch Stole Christmas and The Lorax. One of those is going to be the best. Wow. Doctor. Now, I understand that we're putting a lot of weight on your shoulders. However, I understand. Wait, I'm just happy I got Salasalu on the board. Salasalu so, yeah, was super on the happy. Board. It's very clear to our to our listeners that I messed up the order of this, which is why I had to go like a snake. Yeah, draft. we never do a snake draft. I saw I saw what was draft. happening and I went, "How are you sure?" You know what? I already it. started. I fixed you it. fixed it. You went snake but, draft. Yeah. But please know that the decision you make is one hundred percent supported by okay. both Mark and myself. That's right. And everybody who listens to this, and even people who don't, are forced to recognize that we are correct. So no pressure. So the, this away. will be um, recorded in the Best Sioux Society website. Correct. That's, yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, so now we hey, have. Hey Siri. To- <laughs> hey Siri. Register that domain. <laughs> <laughs> so we have two very, very iconic and well-known books remaining. So it is a very difficult decision. But yeah, that's why we if, gave it to you. Yeah. <laughs> yep. If I had to pick which one I would eliminate next. It would probably be the Grinch, and here's why, which would leave us with um, the Lorax. The Grinch is a, is a specific holiday morality tale. It's a very specific time of year, although it obviously it branches out to how you should treat people all year long. The um, Lorax is a, an ongoing issue that could also educate people about the problems that we have, not only at the time, but literally today. So... Uh, for that reason, I feel like it kind of uh, notches just a little bit above because it's uh, it's an incredibly timeless tale that is still one that every single child and adult should read. Well, there you have it. Amen. People of the world, he speaks for the trees, for the trees have no tongues. Fortunately, the three of us speak just fine. So when it comes <laughs> to selecting the best Dr. Seuss story outside of those six that will never be contenders, <laughs> the answer is the one that 100% remains relevant today. And please remember, whether you are a child or an adult, that you can still take action and save the world. So the Lorax is the best Dr. Seuss story asked and answered. Chris Mancini, thank you for coming on the show and helping us with this. Absolutely. You clearly know your Seuss or your <laughs> Soyce, if yeah, you will. I do indeed. Yes. Grew Soyce. up on it. Still occasionally reading it. So. 
Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and obviously, we're going to be linking people to the rise of the Kung Fu Dragon Master Volume 2 on Kickstarter. All sorts of cool rewards available if you back it. Also, you should be supporting independent comic book publishing, especially when it's good. And Chris does good stuff. Absolutely. Um, it goes, it's, thank you guys. And it, yeah. it goes to September 5th, but, uh, you don't have to wait until then. You could, uh, you, you could pledge right away. And that will also help my anxiety the earlier you pledge. So it's a win-win. And look by at that. The, <laughs> uh, something that I feel like isn't talked about enough with Kickstarters is if you look at it and say you're in a position where like, oh, in like a week, I'll, I'll be able to back the project. In that moment, you can share that project with people you know would love it. And that is a great way to help support is get the people that you know who love action comedy, who love comics, who love specifically Kung Fu and send it to them as well. So not only are you backing it, but you're helping other people fall in love with good stuff. Absolutely. Thanks guys. That was actually, yeah. you know, I might bring you on to plug it for me. You guys no in the next, <laughs> next couple of shows I do. You know what? Like Yogi Bear, I kill it every time. Yeah. Chris, oh my is God. There, is there anything else, uh, anything else you want people to know about anywhere they can go, uh, to sort of centralize all the amazing stuff that you're doing? Sure. Absolutely. You can go to whitecatentertainment.com. That's my, uh, company and you can get links to all the podcasts, including, uh, conversations from the abyss, uh, links to the Kickstarters, um, other comics. And I had one other podcast called the quiet journeys of professor Atwood. It's another scripted one that, uh, is kind of a sleep aid anti-anxiety podcast that'll, that, but it's scripted. So it's about a scientist and explorer who goes all over the world and beyond, but it has like music and sound effects to kind of help you chill and uh, go to sleep. So I decided to create that last year when everything was going crazy to kind of help people too. That's awesome. <laughs> hey, look, we all need a bedtime story sometimes. Yes. <laughs> I get it. Well, thanks for coming on and talking with us today about uh, some of Dr. Seuss's great bedtime and all-time stories. This topic is closed, but there are many more topics to discuss. So please reach out to us on Twitter at we got this tweets or... You can email us at wegotthispodcast at gmail.com or talk about your favorite Sue stories, including the ones by Al Jenkins, at our Facebook group, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash wegotthispodcast. Thank you to producer Ken Plume, researcher Kate McManus, graphic designer Uri Kelman, and QA engineer Jen Alba. And thanks, of course, to our musicians, Jonathan Dinerstein and Mike Furman, for our score and theme song, respectively. And thanks to you, the people of the world, for going on this journey uh, with us through some of the great moments of our early years of reading. I know a lot of you are readers. I know we were as kids. It's something that we grow up with and love forever. And I, I'm glad that we get to share it with you. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. For Hal Lublin, I'm Mark Agliardi. For Mark Agliardi, I'm Hal Lublin. Don't worry, everybody. We got this. We got this. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.